One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the world of Warcraft. I'd say other games as well, but um, we got Chronicle to talk about, so let's face it, it's going to be World of Warcraft for the foreseeable future until we make our way through this epic. My name is Ann Stickney. I'm one of two lore focus writers at Blizzard Watch, and with me I've got two co-hosts. Let's switch it up. We're going to go ahead and introduce our shaman and columnist as well as lore aficionado first, Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Well, hello there. I am doing fantastic. Today has been a great day. Good. It's about to get better because we get to talk lore. Okay. Um, And our second co-host, of course, he's the other lore columnist over at Blizzard Watch. That would be Matthew Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I forever live about a year and a half in the past in terms of like personal computing technology. Oh at no! At least uh, my wife, like you know how cell phone plans like nag you to upgrade your phone. Yes. My wife finally decided we were going to upgrade my phone because I was using an iPhone four. That's so fairly far behind. They're at yeah. the seven now, aren't they? Six or seven? Seven's coming out this year, right now. Yeah. We went in and got a six. I wanted to get a six plus because I wanted the really big screen, but they were like, "We don't even make that anymore. That's that's discontinued." I was like, "Okay, I'll take the six. Uh, and boo. I'm just been trying to. I've been trying to figure this thing out ever since because it's it's not that much different than the phone I was using, but it's got like fingerprint technology and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, instead of just having to put in a code. Yeah. I put my thumb on it and it's like it reads my thumbprint and goes, ah, the person who's allowed to use me. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so creepy. Mine does that. I have, a, but mine's a Galaxy 6 Edge, yeah. but it yeah. does the same thing. It has the thumbprint reader on it. So I'm like, ah, cool. I can yeah. unlock my phone with my fingertips. This is so very Star Trek. Just, I just want to know why we don't have Omni tools yet. I don't know. It'd be great if we did. I'd like to, you know, but then again, that would be like Did the you, Apple. Well, I mean, that's going to happen. Did you see the the proof of concept somebody made with that wristband with the the hollow projection for the phone? No. So that's a thing. That is totally a thing. Okay, you have to link me to that later because now I I'm will, keenly but, interested in seeing but, this thing. And they cited specifically the Omni tool as their inspiration as one of the <laughs> things of why they made this. So you know what's funny? It's though? happening. I, I actually, no, we shouldn't talk about this. We should talk about World of Warcraft. I'm yes. sorry. 
Go on. Let's do war. Let's we've, do Warcraft. We, we've actually got quite a lot to cover today. And by quite a lot, I mean, there's an entire book here that we haven't finished talking about yet. So we're just going to cover another section of it. Of course, we're talking about World of Warcraft Chronicle. Came out a couple weeks ago. If you haven't gotten your copy yet, I'm very sorry, but this is what we're going to be discussing. So if you're avoiding spoilers, come back after you've gotten and consumed the book for your own perusal. And then you can listen to us talk about it. Because Please don't eat the book. Don't eat the book. Just, you know, with your eyeballs, consume it. Sure. And don't, don't do it like a Lovecraftian thing either. Just just read the no, book. No, just, just read it. All right. That works. Anyway, so this week we're going to be talking about... Um, well, last time we talked about the Titans and we talked about Sargeras and we talked about the whole formation of Azeroth, discovery of Azeroth, this, that, the other. Um, this week we're going to talk about what the titans left behind or what they created on azeroth and those are the titanic watchers because there's several of them they all have very interesting and intricate stories and all of this took place well before anything you know present day in azeroth so we're still way back in the past we're talking prior to the night elves here um Rossi, do you want to start, like, why the tit- Titanic Watchers were created and what they were doing initially? I was actually just looking at the Discovery of Azeroth part of the book, which talks about why the Titans, you know, why the Titan Forge got made and all that. Uh, trying to sum it up. Basically, Agrimar was doing his whole, uh, you know, after Sargeras went nuts and took off, Agrimar basically kind of had to handle the whole looking for demons thing by himself. And actually, it was kind of weird. He wasn't finding as many as he expected. You know, that was like, where are they all? This is so weird. But oh well. He's going forth through the cosmos, and he ran into, effectively, for lack of a better word, the bow shock of Azeroth's dreams. Like, the planet Azeroth's world soul was dreaming so powerfully that he could feel it while just flying through the void. Which is crazy. And He's it like, wasn't the void. It was the great dark beyond. Yeah, sorry, the great dark beyond. He's wandering through space, uh, essentially, and he runs into, like, if, if you think of Earth, like, you know, the planet Earth has radio signals we're sending out into space. Azeroth was sending its dreams out, and he could feel them, which is just unheard of for a world soul. He's like, what is that? So he turns and goes and looks, and at first he's like, wow, this is going to be the best Titan ever. Then he's like, oh, 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 no, because... When, remember, when Sargeras took off, like, his, his big I'm out speech, you know, he, before he threw the mic down on the ground, he basically said, you know, I did what I had to do. I, when I killed that, that world soul, I had to do it because it was so corrupted that it couldn't possibly be saved, and you're all fools. And they were all like, no, man, that, that's not right. And he's like, I saw it. You didn't. Now Agrimar was looking at a planet that had the most powerful world soul he'd ever seen or heard of. And it was completely covered in old gods. It was overrun. The Black Empire okay, had pretty it, much yeah. risen. And he's like, okay, uh, no, I don't like this. So he ran back and told the other Pantheon, look, uh, I don't know if Sargras is right, but I just found a world, a uh, huge world soul. This, this world soul is going to be a big deal. And it is completely covered in those things. And then, so they, they got together and they argued about, you know, what the right thing to do was, but Agrimar's like, we got to save this. No, we can't, we can't let this, this one die. And we certainly can't let it be corrupted because that would be a huge, big deal. Uh, we got to save this one. And then everyone else was like, I don't know if we can. And A&R is like, we have to, it doesn't matter if we can or not. We have to, uh, it's one of us. We have to save it. And plus, you know, I happen to be big on life. 
So I'm not going to endorse the destruction of something so powerful. So plus we've got, got that whole Sargeras thing going on, and, and it would be this useful. One be power, more powerful than him. So yeah, we should probably kind of not get that on our side. Yeah. So they got together and came up with a plan. Uh, the plan was like, you know, we're all pretty big. I mean, that's why we're called Titans. We're actually really large. And I don't know if we should just go to the planet and stand on it. That'd be like, you know, six people going to stand on their like their, their new brother. It's on just a kinda... pebble, really. Yeah. I mean, the Titans are gigantic. So instead of that, why don't we we'll create servants, like, like something slightly below the Constellars, but we can make a lot of them. And they can operate on the scale necessary to deal with these things. Like, they'll be smaller than us. And it, it, in a way, if you think about it, it would be an awful lot like if we made tiny robots and put them inside people to cure their diseases. Essentially, that's what the Titans did, is they made tinier versions of themselves and put those on Azeroth. Titan called, nanites. Yeah, they called them the Titan Forged. And essentially, everything, like the big constructs, every everything from, like, the Keepers down to, like, Earthen and, and Mechanomes are Titan-forged. Uh, it's just a word for, like, you know, any Titan creation. Born of the Titans, this. basically, yeah. Yeah. And that's essentially where we get the Keepers. Uh, the Keepers were, like, the most powerful of the created versions. Like, it's sort of like they made generals and, like, leaders for them. And then they kind of made smaller ones. I don't want to say in the image of the larger ones, but, like, each of them seemed to have certain followers that it liked the most. Like, for instance, Raden liked the Mogu. Uh, I forget which else. Like, there, there was... Odin was really big on the Vrykul. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I think Norganon made giants and, and mechanomes, but I'm not 100% on that. Uh, yes, Loken and Mimron were his, uh, were his descendants, and then giants and uh, mechanomes after that. I mean, it, it feels like every single thing was made with a specific purpose, right? Like... And we talked about that a little bit in some of the previous episodes, and th this sort of reinforces it. Not only were they, they the generals created in the likeness of the Titans, but even the armies that served those generals were created with specific purposes in mind, and each one seemed to align specifically with that Titan. Yeah. The, the Watchers, the Titanic Watchers, the ones like Odin and Ra and, well, Mimiron... You know, all of those, they were created specifically, they were molded in the image of the Titans themselves. So they were basically the ones calling the shots. And then you had the armies of the Titan Forge underneath them that were all working. But yeah, e each one had its own specific kind of I focus noticed, on what it was doing. There's one thing in the book doesn't really even mention, and I'm not sure why, but the ones from the Halls of Origination don't get mentioned. Have you noticed that? No, they don't. But, I always, you know, it's presumed they're all part of that whole army. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting that they didn't get mentioned. It's, it makes me wonder if there's a purpose to them that we haven't heard yet. So, that, but that's just a thing, yeah. In general, yes, like, as you guys just, just said, it's they made generals and then the generals made armies. And the interesting thing was that they still, they didn't just walk over the uh, the Black Empire, no. no. Even with all that force, the Black Empire did not go down easy. No, and I mean, they went after the Elemental Lords first, and it was these tit Titanic Watchers, the, the Titan Forge. They were the ones who locked up the Elemental Lords, who defeated them, and then proceeded to go on to the heart of the Black Empire itself. And I know we talked about how the Well of Eternity was formed 
it was when uh, Yashard was defeated. And he was defeated because one of the Titans stuck their hand down there and tried to yank him out of the world forcibly. Um, after that, it's what happened after that that's kind of interesting. Because after that, the, the Titan Forge, the armies of the Titan Forge went through and systematically locked up the rest of the old gods. And that's when stuff got interesting. Because Azeroth entered this state of seeming peace, but there was more going on there. So, Joe, do you want to talk about that? I think, uh, no, I'll let you guys go for a little bit. Rossi, you want to talk well, about basic, that? Well, basically what happened was what we, we now call the Ordering of Azeroth. Uh, once they'd gotten the, the old gods under control, as, as we talked about last week, um, they found out you can't just kill them. They're too entrenched into the planet. It would be like inflicting grievous harm on the planet every time you tried, and it, they didn't know how many could survive. Like, could it survive if we did that again, or would we just be killing it? Like, if we're just going to kill it anyway... That defeats the purpose of all this. So they went with what we call the the ordering, which was first they they imprisoned each of them. Like you can still see this at Alduar if you go there. That the the Titan forged chains that he used to hold a uh, Yog Saron in place, at least a portion of him. Keep in mind that the old gods are vast. Like um, the original Well of Eternity was huge, and that that was like basically the blasted crater used when they when Yisraj got ripped up out of the planet. Um, we know that. Yog is so big that his tentacles extend from like all the way to the Howling Fjord and and uh, north of it. What is north of Howling Fjord again? Uh, Grizzly Hills. Grizzly Hills, yeah. Yes. Yeah. To, from Grizzly Hills all the way over to Ice Crown, and you know that that's in, up into the, into the Storm Peaks. It's an enormous chunk of the territory that Yog's tentacles are you know intertwined with, and that's probably representative of how large the rest of them are. Although we don't know, we we have only seen Nizoth in like a in a hearthstone card so we don't know for sure but these things are enormous so they built the prisons then they were like okay we've got the the well of eternity hit right now the energies from it are cascading outward and we need to deal with that otherwise they could they could just start spreading and life wouldn't be able to adapt to this it's just too much power it would start burning through things they'd start force evolving too fast and they'd just be destroyed so two of them, uh, I want to say Mimiron and and uh, Rodin, but I'm not 100% sure which ones it, it besides Mimiron. Uh, do you guys remember? Was it, Arca- it was Arcadeus. It was Mimiron and Arcadeus yeah. uh, started making engines. And they, they made two, uh, one for the, the north of the planet and the other for the south of the planet. And their goal was to essentially contain the well and, and use its energies to heal the planet rather than just let them run out of run amok it's sort of like in a way it's kind of like a big cosmic bandage like they they created these two wells they implanted them into the world of uh, the the well of the the first engine is the engine of will and the, the forge of one, wills the forge of wills and then what was the other one the the forge the of forge of origination yeah and they put one you know the forge of origination is is in um oldham it's where we call the halls of origination now it's down there yeah the second, the first one, the, the the Forge of Wills is north. It's I think it's in what we call Halls of Stone because I believe it's the one. I mean, the engine is all around. If you the Storm Peaks is completely all of the Storm Peaks is just this engine. Yep, it gets everywhere in the Storm Peaks. Like when you go into the Storm Peaks, you'll notice that some of the mountains you can actually go into the mountain. There's tunnels and machinery inside. That's all part of the Forge of Wills. And as far as the 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 Forge of Origination and how ter- how in terms of how large it was. There's parts of it in Pandaria. Mm-hmm. 
like the engine of Nalek Shock is yep. in Pandaria. That's part of the original Forge of Wills, which is in Oldham. So if you look at a map sometime, yeah, sorry, Forge of Origination. I keep saying Wills, my bad, my bad. But anyway, so they made these two and they placed them. Um, I believe it was Raden who took the second one south, the Origination engine, and when implanted it with his Mogu army. Actually, he also had Tolvir. The Tolvir were also secret. The Anubisath. He yes. had the Tolvir and he had the Mogu and he took them all south to put together the Forge of Origination. And, and on he, the way there, <laughs> yeah, on the way there, he discovered that there were remains of Yasharge. They were still there and they were just kind of strewn all over the world, which is really kind of disgusting when you think about it. But they were also infusing the land as as the old gods are wont to do. Well, you couldn't exactly imprison Yasharaj because Yasharaj was dead, but his heart was there. So Raden decided, okay, I'm going to imprison that and, and I'm going to keep that isolated so that nothing can use it, nothing can get to it, and it can't do any harm to anything. And that's how the heart of Yasharaj got to Pandaria, basically. It, it also, there was an interesting part specifically in that passage where they're describing that, uh, where he sets up the vault and everything, that intrigued me because they didn't really go into too much about it. Uh, it was also that he had the intention of studying the heart in order to understand more about the old gods and void creatures to begin with. Yeah, because the because, more you know, the more you can fight them. Well, and that's true. And that you have to understand at this point, too, is this shows, I mean, exactly, they didn't really know a whole lot about the old gods and the void creatures these were complete new entities to them on a whole like they didn't understand them the same way they understood like shaping a world soul or anything along those lines so i thought that was kind of interesting to show that they weren't all knowing so to speak yeah and that forge of origination it had kind of like dual purposes it was there obviously to help shape the flora and fauna on azeroth and you know kind of originate it and everything but it was also a re-origination device and if at any point Azeroth was deemed corrupt, it would wipe out all the flora and fauna and basically reset it and start over again. Yeah, and at the same time that that was happening, um, we, we find out, we don't know exactly the origin of it, but we find out that like the other various Titan Keepers were doing various things, and one of them was Freya. And one of the things Freya did was the, the modern version of the Emerald Dream is her creation. Whether she made it out of a previous dream... Uh, you know, there was some speculation that the original Emerald Dream existed before her, and it was effectively the dreams of the ti- of the Titan Soul, the World Soul of the planet. But she made the the Emerald Dream we have today, the the one that is kind of a reflection of the natural world, and she's the one that set the first guardians of it. You know, she's basically shaped it and said, okay, we need to keep this protected. That's all Freya. That's what she did. So that's you know, and that's, that's where one of the, the Wild Gods, aka the aspects kind of come into play because they mentions, yeah yeah it, it mentions specifically that they were her like children like she loved them like she loved them like children. children but they were kind of born of the world itself yeah, exactly you know they they came out of the world they came out of the dream and they didn't really she didn't make them happen they were just, they just there but just they happened. were like oh you i like you and yeah. followed her around kind of like well baby ducks well, after she... a mama you know <laughs> And then I guess it should also be noted that she, they were born before the Emerald Dream was really recreated and she tied them to it. Yeah. 
like she she specifically tied them to it in ritual fashion, which I thought was kind of cool. But yeah. at the same time, we basically so we had Northrend being set up. Um, the keepers at this time, the actual prime designate of Azeroth, the the one who was supposed to be in charge, was Odin. Odin and was yeah. Odin was the top of them because. During the war against the old gods, Odin was the one who essentially came up with the working battle plan for how you get their armies destroyed. Because before him, they they didn't they were like they'd go in there and they'd lose a ton of Titan Forged just for every like inch they took. And it was like this isn't working. We we we're not like at this rate. I don't know if we'll be able to to like defeat them. And it was Odin who was like, yes, we we, we will defeat them. We will absolutely will do so. And, and that got him the job essentially. But it also meant that he was first among equals. Like he, they didn't like, there wasn't like a boss situation. It wasn't like I'm in charge and you have to do what I say because they could come up with plans and execute them. And he didn't have to approve of them. Like that's where the aspects come from. And through all of this, like throughout all of this, keep in mind, the Pantheon was still there. The Titans were still there. They were watching their little creations go through and it was like an ant farm almost. <laughs> or at least that's, you know, kind of the impression I get. They were sitting yeah, there kind of watching of those. going, that one's moving over there now. Okay, that one built a thing. Oh, like that's a good thing for it to build. All right. They were playing a game of Civ. <laughs> they were watching The Sims, yeah. <laughs> so eventually, everything got ordered to the Pantheon's liking. And they were like, okay, all right. I, I, we think everything's in place now. It's time for us to go. And the Watchers were kind of like sad about this. But they were also honored in a way because they were entrusted with watching over Azeroth and making sure that that world soul got to where it needed to be. Um, and in order to like kind of commemorate the departure of the Titans and also just to keep a record, it was, uh, what was it? It was Mimron and Loken. They got together and they created the discs of Norganon. And if you've ever played in Oldemon or whatever, you know about these discs. Like you've heard about these since vanilla World of Warcraft. They're basically... They were meant to record history, record the departure of the Titans, and then record everything that happened after that, just to, you know, keep a record of it. Um, and then the Titans left, and they left the Titanic Watchers behind. And then things started to go a little crazy. Well, I wanted to go back to the discs. This is actually kind of interesting. Um, so there's going to be a lot more stuff coming out regarding particularly, like, discs. Um, and I don't want to like spoil a spoiler within a spoiler type thing, um, but this is referenced in upcoming literature <laughs> uh, that will be being released, but not from a Titan's angle. Yeah, which I think is absolutely amazing, at least to me. So it's it's very cool to see, at least to me, that cataloging the events of the universe is not just a Titan and Titan Watcher thing. This exists throughout all of creation in this universe, good and bad. I think that was really cool. Yeah. So the Titan, the Titanic Watchers kind of, you know, did their thing. And then out of all of them, they all had a purpose. And then you had Tyr. And Tyr was kind of like the Sargeras of Azeroth. Sargeras before his corruption. Tyr was there to just protect things. He was like the warrior champion of the Titan Watchers. So he kept an eye on things. And that's when we get into the events of Dawn of the Aspects. If you've read that, good. You probably know what I'm talking about. If you haven't read that, you probably should because it was really good and it tells about the formation of the Dragon Aspects. Anyway, so here's what happens, right? 
the the world was kind of teeming with life and one of those life forms was the proto dragons and they look a lot like the proto drakes that are up in northern right now um they were basically pre-evolved dragons essentially um and Tyr kind of you know he was watching over all of this stuff and then he noticed that one of these dragons galakrond was getting really out of control and in a very disturbing kind of way um he was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and he was actually consuming the corpses of his own kind and if you read dawn of the aspects it's just disgusting like the descriptions are disgusting of this guy but yeah he was basically kind of reanimating dead material and creating these zombie creatures for want of a better word it was almost like the scourge in a way, a little bit. Well, I find it interesting that the description of, of Galkron during this point is misshapen limbs and a dozen of eyes spouted across the gargantuan form. Sounds kind of like an old god, doesn't it? It does, yeah. But there wasn't any like direct connection made between Galakron and the old gods. It was just necrotic energy and death energy. And that isn't void energy necessarily. It's like it right next to it. actually might be the decay Mm-hmm. Stuff. One of the stuff. Thi- one of the yeah. things that we know is that Azeroth, the the entity Azeroth, was consuming all of the spirit element. So it was an overwhelming source of decay, I guess. It is possible. I don't know, but I do know that you know, as you're pointing out, Galakrond was bad news because uh, he just kept getting worse. Like he started, didn't he start eating things and then like he would regurgitate them as as abominations and like scourge it was like the rise of the scourge it was sort of like galakron was the first draconic lich king or something it was very bizarre um tyr saw all of this and he realized that something would need to be done so he went to his fellow watchers went to the fellow keepers to tell them what was up but he found them strangely unresponsive and it was mainly because that war with the old gods and, and just all of the effort involved in ordering Azeroth and bringing it to a point where they could watch it had kind of sapped their strength in a way to the point where they weren't really paying attention to the rest of the world. They were just paying attention to their vaults, their machinery, making sure everything was kept up and running. They weren't paying so much attention to what was going on outside. I do think that Joe's point about the old gods does make an interesting possibility here. Yeah. In that it's interesting that as they get settled into their job, they start becoming indifferent just as a creature that's very similar to the old gods starts going on a rampage. Yeah. Yeah. It does make you wonder if the old gods were already influencing them. It's... Well, and that's what I was bringing up about the Galkron thing, too, because I was wondering if... Because we, we know that the Curse of Flesh is kind of... It's an old god thing. And we know that that's, that's been kind of festering and that infuses every living thing on Azeroth in some manner because, well, we have we have several hours of, of dialogue about that. So that's why I was kind of curious if it wasn't maybe not necessarily just necrotic energy that Galkron was coming against, but if it was... A massive because it was consuming this raw material, it was consuming this living flesh in mass quantities. If it was just reactivating this curse, and if this was like just kind of a, a, a it I don't was sowing the seeds of the yeah. curse of flesh or something for 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 dragons. I don't know. I don't know because the thing is, is like the dragons weren't they weren't Titan creations. They were just proto dragons that were on the planet to begin with. So they were already organic creatures. 
Um, so it wasn't really necessary for them to be affected sure. by the curse of flesh. You know what I mean? But um, it is mutation. That's what I was just kind of thinking. It's like it, maybe it goes from stone to flesh, from flesh to warped flesh. When I first read Dawn of the Aspects and they started talking about Galakron and what was happening with Galakron, my first thought was there's something going on here with the old gods. But that was never confirmed in the book. Like it was never, that connection was never made. Instead, what happened was Tyr went to the other keepers and the other keepers basically ignored him. He didn't really have too many options. So he turned to the proto drakes and he found five proto drakes who were a lot smarter than their kin, like a lot more clever than their kin. And there was Alexstrasza, Neltherion, Malagos, Ysera, and Nosdormu. I think, weren't Alexstrasza and Ysera actually siblings? They were siblings. They were clutch sisters. They were born yeah. in the same clutch of eggs or whatever. But the, rest, he, the rest were just, you know... Yeah. But they were, they were friends, for want of a better word. Or rather, this situation remember, yeah. brought them together. Yeah, I remember that Malagos effectively adopted Neltharion and like and started hanging out with him, whether or not yeah. Neltharion wanted him to. Yeah, and in Dawn of the Aspects, if you read Dawn of the Aspects, it's interesting because what happens is Caligos finds this artifact, and this artifact sends him back in time, effectively, to watch this as it happens. So Caligos is within Malagos, but he can't make any decisions or influence anything. All he can do is observe. And he's observing all of this as it happens. Um, and what happened was Tyr went to them and kind of subtly influenced them to take Galakrond out. And they were successful. Like, they worked together and they actually brought him down. And he was so much larger than any of them were. I mean, he was gargantuan I, you've seen his skeleton in the dragon blight you know how much larger he was um so they brought him down and tear was like tear was kind of impressed by this because he didn't he didn't foresee this happening he didn't foresee them working together to this degree but at the same time what tear realized was that the the world needed people to watch the surface and the keepers weren't doing it the keepers yeah. weren't going to do it. Keepers were very much along the lines of, so what if some dragons get wiped out? As long as the world keeps, you know, focusing in the way we've designed it to focus, these things are inevitable. And he's like, yeah, you're not getting it. This was almost a calamity. They would have wiped, you know, they would have spread across the world. You're not, you're not, Once, you're, you're, you're too focused on the long-term big picture and not on immediate problems. Right. And, they, you know, and, and once, they were fighting Galakron, like actively fighting Galakron. That was enough of a task and that was a big enough action that the keepers started to snap out of their stupor and go, what's going on? What's happening? Um, and after after the dragons like successfully defeated Galakron, Tyr went to the other keepers and he said, I think we need to imbue these guys with powers and we need to do it so that they can watch over Azeroth in our absence. Because obviously, you know, we're paying attention to this other stuff. We need someone else. And everybody else seemed to be okay with this idea and on board with this idea, except for Odin. Yeah. And, and you want to talk about Odin, Rossi? <laughs> yeah, the thing about Odin is, is that in, during the war, he was great. He was an absolutely perfect war leader. In the quote unquote peace, he was terrible. He didn't he didn't really get the whole idea that the keepers were more or less equal. He was like, I'm prime designate. You should do what I say. And the rest of them were like, yeah, okay, that's not how the Titans said it, so we're not doing it. 
That was the first problem. The second problem was that he was very, not only was he very autocratic and he was very preemptory, he believed very strongly that if he didn't think it would work, then it wouldn't work. Like we talked before about like Sargeras, Odin kind of had that same problem in that it was his way or the highway. Like if you didn't do what he wanted, well, obviously you were wrong. As a result of all this. Yeah. yeah. Odin's biggest beef with the dragons was that they weren't Titan forged. Yeah. The Titans didn't make them. And, you know, the keepers didn't make them. They just were. They were natural creatures. They weren't in his mind. They were no better than beasts. And keep in mind that Odin was kind of in charge of those armies of the Titan forged. Mm -hmm. So for anyone to imply that a primitive life form should be placed in a position of power above the Titan forged. He did not like that. He did not like that in the least. He, he absolutely saw it as an insult. Yeah. Uh, and not just was it an insult to the armies of the Titan Forge, but to him, because he was you're saying, designate. <laughs> you're saying you're saying that you have better ideas than he does. And you're saying that he isn't good enough to defend the planet from his perspective. You know, he, he granted tears could turn and say, but you didn't defend the planet. You know, we need them because you weren't doing anything. And that <laughs> what were go- the armies of the Titan Forge doing while this giant proto dragon was waging? I don't know, building, death building something. Yeah. So, as a result of all this, Odin was like, "Fine, you want to have your little army of freaks? Go for it. I'm yeah. not going to. I'm not wasting my time. And I'm going to build." Wait, the hold up, hold up, hold up. We need to back up here, though. Odin wasn't about to have any of it. So the other keepers went behind Odin's back and made this happen. Mm-hmm. Um. Ra was the one who channeled Amonthol and created Nosdormu. That was always a big problem for Odin, too. Yeah. The big problem with Odin was that Ra, Master Ra, or, you know, Raden, as you want to call him, it always felt like Ra was really the guy everyone listened to. Yeah. And he was really the guy everyone looked up to. And even the Titans kind of, they, they made Odin Prime Designate, but that was almost sort of a, you did really well in the war. Here's a prize. But it didn't didn't feel like they meant anything by it because there's Ra and Freya and everybody just doing what they want. And that drove him crazy. He hated it. He hated the idea that he wasn't in charge. So then we have Freya. And Mm -hmm. Freya went ahead and called upon Aonar to bless both Alexstrasza and Ysera with two different things. Alexstrasza had dominion over life. Aonar blessed Ysera with nature's influence and basically tied Ysera to the Emerald Dream, which was Anar's creation. Um, and then what I find really interesting, Norganon empowered Malagos, right? Mm-hmm. But but it was Loken who did it. Loken made Malagos what he is, mm-hmm. or what he was, rather, made him the mm-hmm. spellweaver. And then Arcadus, Arcadus was the one who called on Kazgaroth and gave Neltharion power. So mm-hmm. all of these all of these dragons suddenly were the dragon aspects. Um, And they went, like I said, they went behind Odin's back to do it. And then Odin got really ticked. And now you can go ahead and go, Rossi. (laughs) Well, as everything Andrew said, he was, you know, he was angry. He felt slighted. He also felt like they, the keepers weren't really honoring him, that they had other people that they thought of as, you know, there's Rod channeling the Amonthul. Amonthul's channeled by Ra. And it's like, that's a huge slight. So he's like, all right, you want to have your army of freak dragon things. That's fine. I'm, I'm going to make the true army that's going to protect Azeroth when, when your creations are the gone. The Titanforged army. Yeah. The one that and, isn't made out of a bunch of primitive little creeps. 
So he basically, first off, we, we, sh- we really need to talk about Helia here because he had amongst his followers, one of the most powerful was a, a wizard, like a, a witch, really a sorceress named Helia, who was one of the Vrykul. And he, he honored Helia as if she were his daughter. Like she was very highly placed in his councils, which, you know, this is precursor flesh. It hadn't affected her at this time. She, you know, she was very honored. She, you know, you know, he, he treats her like a, a, a daughter and she in turn used all of her skills in his behalf. And she and, was Titan forged. Yeah, she was. And absolutely she was Titan a sorceress, forged. a powerful one. So obviously, you know, he liked her. Yeah, she she does. This is the way it's supposed to work. The Vrykul are supposed to be our army. We're not supposed to, you know, the the Mogu, the the Tolvia. These are our armies. We're not supposed to be using the things that just kind of happened here. That's not the point. That's not how it works. He went to her and said, "I want to create this new thing. I want to create like this this base." For the army. Glorious and fortress. And she's like, well, um, you've got your halls in Alduar. Why don't we just separate them? And he was. You want to totally be amorphous. elevated? We'll do that literally. So she literally ripped. Like right now we have the halls of lightning, the halls of stone and Alduar itself, the, the main fortress. There used to be a third part, the halls of valor, which were another place inside Alduar. And he literally, if you, I think it, if it's even physically visible, there's a giant trench between that runs Alduar, in front. Yeah. yeah. Between Alduar and the Storm Peaks. And I'm pretty sure that's where the Halls of Valor were. Yep. And she just ripped it up out of the ground and made it float. So from that moment on, Odin was essentially living in his sky palace and he'd he'd, he'd essentially taken his ball and gone home. He'd stormed off to the heavens and run off and and he, and he basically went to the Vrykul, any Vrykul anywhere in, in, in Northrend at the time, that's where they were. Northrend didn't really exist as a separate place, but they were mostly in the North. And he went to them and said, if you prove yourselves to me, I will, I will perfect you. Basically. And you will become, you know, you know, cause I think, I think around this time is when the curse of flesh is really starting to take root. A little bit. They're starting to notice it. And he's like, I will perfect you. I will give you new bodies that will never decay. That will never turn into this. That they will be forged of storms. And they're all like, that sounds like a great idea. So Basically, started, prove you know, yourselves and die in glorious battle and you will be, your spirits will be born to the halls of valor and I will make you reborn. In order to make this work, however, he needed somebody to go find them. Yep. And he, he just assumed Helia would be down for this because she'd always done anything he ever asked. So he didn't ask this time. He just... Oh, classic Odin. He just twisted her into the first of his his right. What happened? What happened there? It was interesting what happened there. Right. Because Odin basically said, "Okay, I need someone to volunteer to escort these dead souls here. I I need somebody to do that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and like I I I need to like ferry the dead. So what he did was he like sat there and kind of looked at the energies that were in the Shadowlands. And figured out a way to transform the Vrykul into the Valkyr. And then what he ended up doing was he like went to the Vrykul and he said, I need some of you guys to volunteer to become these Valkyr things. And needless to say, none of the Vrykul stepped up and said, oh, oh, me. Like, none of them wanted to do it. So... Helia came to him and Helia said, what are you doing? Why are you trying to transform the Titan Forge? You should be ashamed of you. No, you're not supposed to do this. And he 
he had an argument with her and that argument got really heated. And at the end of that argument, Helia said, if you don't change your mind, if you keep trying to do this, I'm going to take the halls of valor and put them right back where they came from. And Odin saw that and said, you know what? Fine. I'm going to make you the first one. And that's that's what happened. That's when he twisted her into the first of the Valkyrie. Like they had an argument and he made he made her one yeah. against her will. That was possibly the biggest mistake he'd ever made. Oh, it, wasn't it, wasn't ever. it wasn't the last mistake he'd make. Uh, he then basically acted like nothing was wrong with this. Like he'd done well, it. I mean, he's the best. He's got the best ideas. Of course, there's nothing wrong he with did it. it. It was done. And that's the beginning and end of it. And, and unfortunately, she was like, because he transformed her, she was under his command. Yes. She she could not disobey. So, and she was ticked. So she began ticked. basically, she was the first, but, you know, then she started making more because he told her to. And then he, you know, this proceeded on for quite some time. And now we have to move on to Loken. Yes. So, do you want to do that one or you want me to do it? Um, why don't you go ahead and get started with that? Uh... We start off with Loken. Loken, it was, you know, he was one of the various the Titanic uh, watchers or keepers, whatever term you want to use for them. And uh, he was, as you pointed out, uh, he was the one that Norganon had chosen. Yeah. Uh, he was Along with Mimiron. And, and it was Loken and Mimiron. They both embodied aspects of Norganon. Mimiron was the inventive side. Loken was more the intellectually curious side, you know. Mimron would do things. Loken wondered why you do things. And he, you know, looked into that. Unfortunately, he was curious about lots of things. One of the things he was curious about was the old god they were all sitting on. Yeah. But no more about that thing. But that, you know, he studied it, but he wasn't really that serious about it. The other thing he was curious about was Thorum's wife, Sif. <laughs> and un unlike you, what you might expect, Sif actually kind of reciprocated it. It wasn't a one-sided Loken chasing after her thing. The two of them, you know, she was very compassionate, and her husband was Thorim. The guy liked to hit things with a hammer. He didn't have a lot going on intellectually to speak of. He wasn't he wasn't a thinker. Um, you know, he wasn't Tyr either. Tyr was a watchful sort, so Tyr actually ruminated quite a bit, but Thorim didn't. You told Thorim to hit something with a hammer, and that's what he did. He, he just, he you know... So Sif kind of had a certain void in her life. Yeah, but that, he, you know, you also have to uh, point out here too. Um, Loken, he was observing the old god. Yes. Yeah. He was interested in Sif. Yes. And then somewhere in the middle of this, we talked about this last time when the Titans were destroyed, they sent their spirits into their creations, like. The last mm -hmm. vestiges of their consciousness. Yeah, each of the keepers got hit by some of it. While the, while all this was going on, Loken got slammed with that mm -hmm. and, and didn't quite understand what was going on. But it not only confused him, it kind of threw him into this kind of unsettled state of despair almost. And Yogg-Saron, being right there, being within close proximity to Loken, sensed that. Sensed that kind of general unhappiness. And that general despair and confusion and decided to kind of prey on that. Yeah. So basically uh, it, it's kind of interesting because it sort of has certain aspects of another time that this happens in the Warcraft story. Uh, the kill Jaden appears to Ner'zhul as his wife. 
Um, Yogg begins manipulating Loken's feelings for Sif. Oh, and big time. Loken is like finally goes to her and says, "Look, I, I love you. Uh, you know, you have to come away with me. You know, just just leave Thorm." And she's like, "Look, I can't. Uh, I I I have you know I feel things about you, but he's my husband, and it would be wrong. It would hurt him. And there's no you know we can't do this." And in that moment, Loken killed her. He snapped and he killed her. And almost immediately, he's like, oh, 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 my, my Titans, what did I just do? Oh, and this is a part where she began talking to him from beyond the veil of death. Of course, you know, yeah. you, you might want to look at that one and, and think real hard about it, Loken. But she's like, no, I forgive you. I forgive you for killing me. But we can't let them know what happened. It would cause tremendous problems if Thorum knew you'd killed me. Call of the Titan oh, Forge yeah. would descend into like civil war, keeper against keeper. It'd just be madness. So, so we need to cover this up. Yeah. What we should do is for, is frame somebody else for it. And Loken went along with this because he'd also kind of gotten all of Norganon's deviousness. And we'll find that we, we found out that Nor, Norganon is the tricksy hobbit who managed to put the Titan souls in the keeper's bodies in the first yeah. place. So. He was not he he was not one for you know half measures. Loken basically sets this whole thing up that it looks like the uh, frost giants under Th- under King Thrym killed Sif and Thorim, being Thorim, tried to hit this problem with a hammer. Yeah, uh, so it was basically storm giant against ice giant. <laughs> then Loken had the 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 Titanic balls to blame Thorim. Yep, for everything. Like, if you hadn't gone after them with your hammer, everything would be fine, which caused Thorim to go off on a fevered sulk for however many thousands of years. I mean, this is before, like, this is way before the Sundering, so we're talking like 16,000 years or so. Thorim went up on top of his mountain and brooded in his his, his temple, because Thorim was the one guy Loken absolutely did not want to fight. Yeah. Loken did not want to go into a one-on-one fight with that dude. And Sif was like, Sif was like, oh no, these giants are fighting each other. Loken, you know what you should do? You should activate the Forge of Wills and build, like, an army. You need to build a new army, and you need to do that to just, you know, protect Ulduar, because that's really important. Mm-hmm. Of course, what Loken didn't know was that Yogg-Saron had already kind of seeped into the Forge of Wills and incorporated the Curse of Flesh within the Creation Engine. So every creature created by the Forge of Wills from that moment on was afflicted with the Curse of Flesh. Or that came into contact with anything made by the Forge of Wills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even the ones that were made before this started getting it. It started spreading through everything. It And it was so bad that at one point, Loken sent runners south to find out what what is, why is Raden not come back during all of this? We've got all this <laughs> stuff going on and I have not heard from Ra. I need to know what he's doing. So he sent runners south and they spread the Curse of Flesh down there. And we're still... This is where we come back to Odin and Helia. Logan is looking around at this point at what's happened, and he's like, okay, okay, I can fix this. I can fix this, but I need to be prime designate. And, well, he's more like, he, it's more like he kind of is like, okay, all this chaos is going on down here, but everybody seems to be on the down low. And then he looked up and went, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Oh, I gotta no, get rid of, I can't I gotta, get, I got to get rid of that guy. <laughs> so he went to Helia and said, look, you're under... Odin's control and I've always personally felt that, that was very unfair like I don't think he should have done that to you do you I mean you know that seems wrong how about 
I fix it so you can act on your own again. I'll set you free. Yeah. And you, you know, maybe as a little, you know, quid pro quo, I scratch your back. You banish him forever so he can't come back. Just seal off those halls up there so that nobody can come out of. Just seal them off from the rest of the world. And Helia's like, well, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I am so down with that. (laughs) And that is literally what happened. She uh, he, he broke Odin's control of her. And she immediately locked up the Halls of Valor because she's the one that created it in the first place. She knew exactly how to do it. She basically wove the magic so that, you know, none of the Titan, the Stormforged already in there could leave. And the problem with that was that left a huge power vacuum, first up, which Helia immediately went and filled in the Shadowlands. She created her own, like, you know, her boat of evil in Helheim. Helheim, yeah. And she took all the Valkyr that it escaped the halls of valor and said, yeah, we're going to go build our own sandbox over there. And it's way better. <laughs> it's going to have swamp mist monsters and it's just going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, this left Loken in in position to basically Thorim was out, um, you know, basically sulking. Odin was locked up. Raden was in the South and was like too busy to do anything. Loken's like, okay, uh, we need a prime designate. I am going to heroically step forth and fill this role. Because someone's got to bring order to this whole thing, these, this, this chaotic civil war. I'm going to fix everything. Surely no one will ever suspect I am up to no good. Unfortunately for him, Tyr and Arcadeus suspected he was up to no good. Well, and beyond that, we had like the actual keepers that were left in Ulduar, including his best buddy and cohort in creation, Mimiron. And Mimiron, Mimiron was looking at all of this new Titan Forge that was being produced by the Forge of Wills and kind of like, looked at it and went, hey, there's a problem here in the Matrix. And, Logan, did you know about this? Because we, we need to, like... We, we got to strip back the product line. Yeah, we need to figure out what's what's going on here. And, um... Yeah, of course, Mimiron had saw no problem in telling Logan this, because they were buddies. They were buddies, yeah. And Logan saw absolutely no tro- problem at all in sabotaging Mimiron's workshop and killing the Keeper. Only he yeah. didn't quite kill the Keeper. Well, he did, but they rebuilt him. They like rebuilt his, him, yeah. His mechanomes were like, oh, no, well, we'll just fix him. They're like, oh, his spirit's still here. Well, it's okay. We'll rebuild him. So they basically rebuilt Mimiron, which is why he looks like a robot. He yeah. looks like one of the mechanomes that he created. And Mimiron was never quite the same after that. Yeah, because he, he basically, the traumatic experience of being blown up and then being rebuilt into a robot form you based on ones you designed kind of pushed him over the edge into full-on crazy town. Yeah, and Loken, Loken basically took that opportunity. Once Mimiron was down, it was kind of like a series of dominoes, and it was easy enough to get the other ones. He basically confronted Freya like in the Temple of Life. Yeah, with and all they his fought, new guys. Yeah, with all his had... new guys and Yogg-Saron. Mm-hmm. Yogg-Saron was working for him by this point, which he thought was great because, you know, it's a lot easier to cover that whole, oops, I murdered people thing when everybody's actually working for you. Like, Loken, Loken at this point had become seriously unhinged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically, you know, captured Freya and subdued her, enthralled her spirit, kind of like bound her into Ulduar. Like, her spirit was broken. She didn't even really want to, like, leave at that point. And then he went to Hodir, did mm-hmm. the same thing, defeated Hodir. And then Tyr and Arcadis, that's when Tyr and Arcadis come in. Cause they kind of, they, they like, 
they they sensed that something was up with Logan. The problem for that too is that they they and their followers had been basically to the far north during all this. Yeah. And they'd been isolated. They hadn't come into contact with with many of Logan's followers, so they didn't have the curse of flesh, you know, as bad in their ranks. They just hadn't it hadn't spread through them yet. And both of them, like Tyr, was a, you know a powerhouse. He was the warrior type, and Arcadius was. No slouch when it came to creating things. And Tyr kind of, he figured something was going on with Loken. Um, all of those suspicions were confirmed because he actually saw Loken fighting Hodir. Mm-hmm. At which point he went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, bad things are afoot here and I'm in no position to actually do anything about them. So, um, Arcadis, I want you to come with me. Ironanya, I want you to come with me. Let's get out of here and, and try and, and figure yeah. out a game plan. And keep in mind, too, this is still Kalimdor is all one continent at this point. Yeah. So um, he decides they're going to go to a, to a fallback location, um, essentially a escape point. And they start heading south to get to it. And Loken does not like this at all. Not even a little bit. So he decides, nope, uh, I'm going to gonna have to take them out. But what if they contact Ra? That would be really bad. I'm not, I am in no shape to fight Ra. Um, keep in mind, he, he still didn't even want to fight Odin. Like, you know, he, he didn't want to fight Thorim either. He, the, you look at the ones he, 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 how he took them out. He confronted the ones that were not the physical powerhouses. He didn't want to fight those guys. And so he sent, uh, what is it called? The Chithraxi abomination? I think so. Chithraxi, yeah. Yeah. yeah the Chithraxi are, essentially, if you've done Ulduar and you fought um, General Vizax. That's a Chithraxi. Uh, they're huge, very powerful. Uh, essentially, they're like the greatest servants of Yogg-Saron. He sent that thing and a host of its followers after the, the fleeing keepers. And as far as Ra was concerned, Loken was kind of thinking, well, Ra's going to be a big problem. He's going to show up. He's going to show up real soon. Why isn't Ra here yet? Why hasn't Ra shown up? Mm-hmm. Huh. Ra should be here by now. You know, I mean, I'm doing all sorts of horrible stuff. Why is this guy not here? Maybe I should send some people down to Oldham just to see what's going on, because this is a little weird. He should be here by now, you know. Um, yeah, it, it at that point, you know, Loken, Loken had pretty much taken over Ulduar. He had taken over Ulduar, and he was so obsessed with not being seen as doing any wrong that he went to the Halls of Origination. And he changed the story there. Is it the Halls of Origination? No, halls, not the Halls, halls, of, the halls of Stone. He went to the Halls of Stone. And, um, the you tri- know... The Tribunal of Ages. Yeah, yeah when you yes. go to the Tribunal of Ages, you know how we had always said the Tribunal of Ages, there's something about it that just isn't right. Like, it doesn't ring with all the other stuff that we've heard already. It's mm-hmm. because it's not right. Loken changed it. He changed it all to make it look like he was faultless and without blame in any of this. So that in the event that, oh, I don't know, Algalon came back to check in or the Titans showed up again to check in, you know, the Titans weren't going to show up again. But like if Algalon came back to kind of check in on things and see what was going on, he'd be like, oh, okay, nothing's wrong here. Loken's in charge. That's how it's supposed to be. That's what these discs say. I'm out of here. Well, isn't that interesting, too, because, like, didn't he alter the signal to Algalon as well, so that, like, the only way that Algalon would ever be triggered is if he died? 
Yeah. Yeah, because he he decided to go ahead and just declare himself prime designate. So basically he changed it so the only event that would ever signal Algalon is he, yeah, if he died, which is why, you know, when we go into Northern there and we defeat Logan in that dungeon, Algalon shows up immediately after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I've always wondered if that was Loken's last little bit of sanity creeping in. I think so. Like he, because he realized by this point, some part of him must have realized I am totally like the things I'm doing seem much more like something Yogg-Saron would want me to do. It also kind of explains why when you go to Yogg-Saron's chamber, Sif is in there. Yeah. Because he was Sif the whole time, telling Loken, "No, that's totally right to do this." And the interesting part about all of this too is that's why when we went to Northrend and Wrath of the Lich King. The Halls of Valor weren't there. We didn't know about the Halls of Valor. We didn't know about Keeper Odin because it was all sealed away. And all, all of the records, yeah. all of the records had been changed so that we didn't even have like the slightest bit of inkling about its existence in the first place. We just had these little, you know, disparate pieces that didn't quite add up for whatever reason. Like Aldemon versus Alduar. Like if you go to Aldemon and you find the disks of Norganon in Aldemon, they don't agree because the discs of Aldemon, the discs of Norganon and Aldemon were brought there by Arcadeus. Mm-hmm. So why don't we go ahead? Um, why don't we talk about what happened with Ra? And then I think we're going to have to like kind of wrap it up because it's actually already been about an hour. Yeah, Joe, <laughs> we, you want to do uh, well, I mean, we, we can kind of like I, I don't know. I don't want to say speed through it, but for the sake of brevity, uh, so Ra had this sort of awakening, right? So the at this point, the Pantheon is is destroyed. Everything's everything's gone to, to hell in a handbasket. And Ra got slammed with the same memories as everybody else did. He got slammed with the same memories as everybody else's. But here's the difference. Ra figured out what was going on. So he kind of, you know, figured out, he's like, this is going to kill me. Rips it out of himself and kind of plants it. <laughs> uh, not only does he do this, but he's so wrought with, like, despair over the fact that, like, oh, my, you know, Every, everything I've known is, is gone. These things that created me, that gave me life and purpose, are, are no longer here. Well, heck. And just kind of locks himself away out of, you know, basically just, he locks himself in the Mogashon vaults and just never, like, you just don't hear from him. <laughs> like, that's just that's just it. Like, that's why he never went to go deal with Loken. That's why he never went to go deal with what was going on, because he was just, he had, a, for lack of a better term, an emo moment. He was very, very, very down about what was going on. Yeah, because he, he was the one that understood what it all meant. The he rest was the of them only were one confused. that understood what it was yeah. all meant. Yeah. The rest of them were confused, but they didn't know. Like they wouldn't like understand. Like what was that? I just felt the weird emotions, but Ra knew, and that made it. He went into a depression that didn't end until even after Li Shen found him. So yeah, but that's also the reason. Ironically enough, that's why Rathion got a glimpse of what's truly going on mm-hmm. when he ate Li Shen's heart. Because Li Shen's heart was actually Raden's heart. Li Shen pulled it out of Raden when he just de- when he defeated him, and obviously he defeated him because Raden didn't fight back. I mean, come on. And that message that he says when yeah. he speaks, he says, "We have fallen. We must rebuild the final Titan. Do not forget." It's probably from the Titans themselves. And when they say, "We have fallen." They literally mean that's, they have that's fallen. That's Norganon's yeah. message. Yeah. And rebuilding the final Titan is... Azeroth. Yeah. So it actually beautifully ties all together. Like this all kind of ties together. And it finally makes sense after 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel really bad now that I killed Archidaeus. Yeah. And Iron Yeah. 
was they waited all that time and I just come in and smash them for some like crappy loot that isn't even any good anymore. I just love that I was like spending all this time trying to figure out what was going on with the whole um oh the halls of stone, the event in the halls of stone. Um where you're with Bran and it's talking about the history and it's talking about the curse of flesh and it's talking about everything else. And I've spent so many years trying to figure that out and going, why doesn't this make sense? There has to be a reason why this doesn't match with the other stuff. And I mean, either whoever took down those original historical records was wrong or, or something's going on here, or maybe, you know, we just didn't have the whole picture and it turns out it wasn't any of that. It was just Logan. Yeah. messing with things <laughs> well, i remember we had like a long discussion and i kept saying but oldemon doesn't say that and you'd be like but this says that and i'm like but oldemon doesn't and you're like yeah but what, what are we supposed to how do we reconcile and I'm like i don't know uh, I, all i, I know, know is this perfectly justifies rossi this perfectly justifies your love of oldemon for all these years it was yeah. that important oh, i loved 100 i loved um in oldemon <laughs> the end of oldemon where you get the discs and you have to take the discs down to uh, oh, yeah. yeah, that oh. was always I loved that part. Because yeah, we would go there, and it was like back in the old days, you'd go there, and it was just that's where it stopped, and you're like, oh god, what now? And and the best part is obviously Archidaeus set that up, trying yeah. to send you to Oldham instead of Oldowar. He but Oldham was to... blocked off. Yeah, but he didn't want you to go to Oldowar because Oldowar is where he knew Loken was. And it was he, messed up. Yeah. He wanted you to go to Oldham because Oldham is the last known resting place of Ra. And it even makes sense that Ra and Ra-Den are the same person because Ra created Oldham. Yep. Sun God. It's perfect. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah. It, it. What happened with the Keepers after the Titans left was, it, it was interesting because I think like, you know, the aspects, obviously, Tyr came in, in, into play there and, and brought the aspects, the dragon aspects into play as well. Um, and it also makes me wonder, because Chronicle never actually says what the purpose of the dragon flights was beyond protect the world or whatever. But when you got to Dragon Soul, you know, they were pretty explicit about this is our purpose. We had to fulfill our purpose is to prevent the hour of twilight. So it's like, well... What do you mean you, by the hour of twilight? Do you mean you that's when of, the old gods rise and the void comes into play? Or is there like a specific moment that we're talking here? And it also makes the corruption of the dragon flights that much more involved and kind of interesting. Um, the old gods are, their influence is... Long and deep. Locking them up did not work either, guys. No, it didn't work. It didn't work. There's like more to them than that. And maybe that kind of ties into just what we don't understand about the void just yet. But we should probably start wrapping it up here. Um, Blizzard Watch, it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. We did mean to get to some emails today, but <laughs> honestly, was, yeah. I think we were talking too much. Maybe next time, next time I either, either A, I want to talk about what happened after Logan's betrayal, like what oh, yeah. happened with Tyr and Arcadus and humanity, um, the evolution of humanity, or 
we might just take this hojillion questions that we've got sitting here and go through them. <laughs> a whole episode of, of answers. I, I'd be down for that. And, and kind of address those because I feel kind of bad because we haven't really been answering them. Um, we just had a lot to talk about. So, yeah, uh, that kind of wraps us up here. Joe, final thoughts. You know, now my final thoughts is I'm starting to wonder exactly how uneasy Tyr was and what he saw, like what he saw happening and if maybe he pre-programmed all of the dragon flights to have that sort of interaction or that that sort of like trigger if like if we all die you all are going to have this like subroutine that runs go okay rossi final thoughts um we're still like barely even through <laughs> a quarter of this book we got like through another dozen pages or so oh god i'm not like upset but man we're never going to get done if we do the mailbag thing the next week, we're going to just like, you know, have another hojillion questions. But what about this? Like, guys, seriously, I'm, I'm trying so hard to compress. Like, I'm leaving stuff out. I'm trying so hard to compress. Ian has to keep coming in and saying, oh, wait about this. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's really hard. It's really hard to cut stuff out because yeah. everything is important. What's the thing? Like, you know, hell, the whole thing with Helia, um, that itself could have been an episode. The whole Helia betrayal. Because, man, she is... She may be a villain in the game, but she is absolutely justified. She is a justified, about as justified a villain as you can possibly get. There's a yeah. reason why she's kind of turned to darkness, and it all has to do with the former prime designate. So Who is yeah, a jerk. Um, a lot of what I find interesting, uh, particularly about all this stuff with the keepers, is that yes, some of it ties into Mists of Pandaria, and I love that. I love that we're tying back to these other expansions, and it's not all just what happened in Wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, more importantly, a lot of this ties into what we will be seeing in Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the fallout from this, we'll be seeing that addressed in Legion. So if you want more Legion lore before the expansion comes out, that would also be a reason to pick up Chronicle, not just because... Um, it's an excellent book to begin with. <laughs> you should probably get it. Yep. Anyway, that pretty much wraps us up. Um, I think we will probably, I don't know, we'll deliberate whether or not we're going to do questions or we're going to talk more Chronicle. We'll figure it out. Uh, we will see you in two weeks. And thanks for listening, guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.